Let's try that again. Amen. Amen. The blood will never lose its power. Never. Never lose its power. Oh my. Wow. Well, let's begin by reading the Word of God. Always seems like a good place to start. Just read the passage, huh? You can follow along. I think they have the passage behind me. But if not, we're in John chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. The powerful promises of Christ. The powerful promises of Christ. Verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father. And the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I will do it. Man, what a promise. What a powerful promise is in Christ. I take you back to what Pastor Matt spoke on last week, that very first verse. And I think it's important that you see that flow through what we're going to talk about today. In that very first verse, after he had announced in the previous chapter that he was going to be betrayed and that he was going to die, the hour for the Son of God had come. And that was launched. The trigger had been pulled on the starting gun to his death, burial, and resurrection. The crucifixion of Christ was coming. So he has to encourage the disciples. So what does he do? He goes right here and he says this, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That takes us right to verse 7, where we started to read there. But I want to say something. He says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. It's very interesting I looked this up. The word know in John, in the Gospel of John, the word know is used 141 times. 141 times. And there's different levels of knowing that are represented even in those 141 times. They don't always mean the same exact thing. So I was looking at that. Like, what do they mean? There's four different levels, I think. Knowing a fact, that's one of them. Number two would be to understand the truth behind the fact. Uh, the third one would be introduction of relationship in an intimate relationship. For instance, in marriage, there's a knowing each other intimately. 
That would be that third level. The fourth level, which I think is where we're here, is a deeper relationship with a person, a deeper communion. Paul refers to that in Philippians 3.10. I'm going to go there and read it to you. Listen to this. This is the kind of deeper we're talking about, the different knowing. Oh, let me start up at seven. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which it is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now listen to this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. It's a different knowing. I want to know this Christ. I'm willing to suffer in him even. That's the different knowing. So if you had known me in verse 7, Jesus is actually claiming in verse 7 to be God. Once again, he's making the claim. I and the Father am one. How many times have we done this in the John, in the book of John? Multiple times. Multiple times. But now he says in that verse that he's going to continue to talk about the Father now. Did you see that? If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him. From now on, disciples, you know the Father because you've known me. You've been walking around. And then he goes to Philip and he says, how could you even ask to, for a presentation of the Father. You want to see him visibly. You've been seeing me this whole time. You've been seeing the Father. That's what he tells him there. So it's kind of a scolding uh, of, of Peter there in, in verse 8 and 9. Jesus' response could be perceived as one of, the, of disappointment in that verse. He says, uh, in, in there he says, Have I been with you so long that you've not come to know me, Philip? You don't know me intimately yet? We've been together three and a half years. I've provided for you all the time you've been ministering with me. And you don't even know me yet. Don't you know me? Haven't we been talking about this month? Haven't you seen me do miraculous things? Haven't you heard the words that come out of my mouth? You've never heard words like what's come out of my mouth. And he's going to do that in verses 10 and 11. He, he says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You've been looking at the Father while watching me. Verse 10, he says, do you not believe that I am the Father? That I am in the Father, excuse me, and the Father is in me. I've told you multiple times this is the case. Don't you believe it yet? You had to know, I feel a sense that Jesus is like, I can't believe you don't believe that yet. But yet he knows they haven't. That's the whole reason he's talking to them. He's propping up their faith once again. Don't be too hard on the disciples. You never need your faith to be propped up, do you? I certainly do. So his response in verse 10 do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. 
I'm not saying what I'm saying as Jesus. I'm telling you what the Father sent me to say. I'm speaking on behalf of the Father. I'm using the words he gave me. He's, if you don't recognize it, he's saying the qualities of God the Father I have. I'm saying I'm God. That's what he's saying. And I've said it multiple times. And you still don't get it. Let me tell you, if you believe in a Jesus Christ that's not equal to the Father today, and you don't believe he's the Son, you're not believing in the right Jesus. And then he goes a little further here in verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Would you please believe the words that I'm telling you? How could they not believe? And listen, don't get too hard on Philip because he does, he's using, his, his mouth is being used for everyone. Right? Doesn't he say that? Show us the Father, not show me the Father. Show us. Come on. You, you say you and the Father are one, well, well, hey, bring him down here, let us look at him. What an insult that was to Jesus. They were not realizing that even, I think they were thinking back to where, uh, in the Old Testament where Moses got a glimpse of who God was. They want to say, hey, we want to see, it's called a theophany, where we actually get to see God. We want to see him. And he says, you're looking at him. I am the father of one. When you look at me, what an insult. For three and a half years, you've been walking around with a much better view of the father than you would ever get from what Moses got. He got a glimpse. You've been walking with me for three and a half years. I'm in, his, I'm in the flesh, but I'm God the Father. He's with me. I'm him. He's me. Hard to understand. Much easier for us to understand it today probably than them. You've got the full book that shows you the relationship. They were living it out. They just didn't understand it. Don't be too hard on them. They're just fleshly men. But oh, Jesus was so disappointed, I think, in that. And what's he say in 11 to finish it up? Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Other, if you don't believe that, at least believe because of the works themselves that I've done. What ordinary man have you seen raise a guy who's been dead four years? I mean, four days. Who, what have you seen? You ever seen that before? That's what he's saying to them. How did we take the loaves and fishes and feed so many people with them? I turned water to wine. You've witnessed all of this. What ordinary man can do that? No ordinary man. He was not an ordinary man. So all of that is the person of Christ. That's the whole point. Knowing Christ is knowing the Father. That's the person of who he is. He's one with the Father. He's one with the Spirit. It's the three in one. And guess what? They're about to start indwelling you very soon. They're about to start indwelling you, oh, disciples that have been walking with me. We'll get there. That's the greater work section. That's the second point I make, the greater works that is going to be done. So you have the power in knowing Christ. This is the power of Christ at work. You have the, the person of Christ in point one, pers 
Two here is greater works. It's the power on display of what he's promising. Truly, truly, in verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Do you see believe in this passage at all? I saw it. It's about five times we see the word believe in, uh, in verses 8 to 12. Believe, 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 believe. Know him, know him, know him. If you know him, you'll believe in him. If you believe in him, you'll get to know him. Look what's required if you, how many of you want to do greater works? How many of you want to do greater works? Come on. Don't you want to do greater works? How many of you at home want to do greater works? Well, there's a way it can happen, and he said it, he promised it. It's one of the promises in this passage. I say to you, he who believes in me, there's your first condition, you got to believe in him. If you don't believe in him, don't worry about doing greater works. Start figuring out who he is. Because that's more important. And then he says, then he identifies it. The works I do, he will do also. Now remember, he's talking to the disciples. They actually did do the works in Acts that he was doing. They actually did those works. I don't think we can do those works. I haven't seen any of you raise anybody from the dead lately. So, requires believing. You are going to be able to do greater works by believing in him. And he says, if you believe in me, you'll do even greater works than these that I've done. What in the world? How can the student do greater works than the teacher? But God reverses it. He says, no, no, no. You're going to do even greater works than I did. But another condition. How is this possible? How is it possible? You see, it's the last four or five words of that verse. He says, greater works than these he will do. Those that believe in me, they'll do greater works. Why? Because I go to the Father. It cannot happen until he goes to the Father. And listen, there's a chain reaction when he goes to the Father because then he sends the one he promised. Huh? Huh? He sends the Spirit, doesn't he? And then we see, immediately in Acts, we see the greater works start happening once the Spirit comes. What's he say in Acts 1, I mean, in 1-8 there? When the power of the Spirit comes upon you, then you'll be my witness. Then you'll be, you'll have the power to be my witness. Greater works are you going to do after I go to the Father. Because once I go to the Father, then I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And then you'll have power to do the greater works. Conditional stuff here, but there's promises. Made possible. Now, he's not talking in this realm, in my opinion, and I think I have lots of backup for it. When he says greater works, he's not talking about the physical works. He's not talking about those miracles that he had done. He's saying those are great works, but the greater work is the spiritual aspect. To get into that spiritual realm. And that greater work's going to happen after I go back to the Father. Well, guess what happens between this point and him going back to the Father? He dies on a cross. 
He's buried and he's resurrected to go back to the Father. Then he sends the Holy Spirit. You got a triune God living within you if you believe in Jesus Christ. That, you, that they did not have. I've often wondered what would it be like to be a disciple following Christ around for those three and a half years, understanding you're feeble in your faith. They knew they were weak in faith. They knew that. They had to know. He keeps pointing out to them. They knew that. But what was it like when he died and was buried? They abandoned him in that. You'll see it coming up. They leave him. They leave him with all the promises he's making here. They still exit. But oh, they come back when he's resurrected. They come back to him when he's resurrected. And then in that upper room in Acts, the Holy Spirit comes on them and something changes. And so you say, well, how could they do greater works though? Well, because it's in the spiritual realm. Let's think about it. How many people were following Christ when he died? How many do you think actually were followers of Christ? 120. It was in the hundreds. It was in the hundreds. Okay? 120 were in the upper room. We know that. Okay? So then it's like they were to do greater works, not more power, but to a different extent. It was going to go a different direction. And I, I was thinking about this. You know, Christ really only ministered in Palestine. He stayed within that realm. So all the people that he was preaching to and telling the truth about the Father and about himself was limited. He was limited by, by physical body. He couldn't just go from, well, we've seen him go from place, place to place in some of his miracles, but he didn't do that typically. So he was limited on the space that he was ministering to, the amount of people that he was ministering to. You know, they, they have, there's a term that says um, the work is many hands make the work light. You ever hear that? You ever hear that statement? Many hands make the work light. So far, Christ is carrying all the work. But when he returns to the Father, he's got all 11 disciples that go out to start working. Right? So the evidence, the first evidence of greater works was when? Do you guys remember? In Acts there when Peter preached? How many got saved the day he preached? 3,000. Christ only had 120 people that were even in the upper room with him. But after he returns to the Father and the Holy Spirit comes, we see 3,000 people get saved at one sermon. And this by a weak man whose faith was very weak before the Holy Spirit. He denied Christ three times. You remember that story. And now, why did he deny him? Because he was in fear. He was afraid. No courage. But boy, when the Holy Spirit came and he saw Christ resurrected and the Holy Spirit came on him, the same people that crucified Christ arrested him. He says, do what you will with me. Do what you want to with me. I'm not going to quit preaching Christ. I have to keep preaching him. Hmm. Greater works. Greater works than this shall you do. I, you know, I was thinking of this the other, uh, the other night when I was typing up these notes. So that's incredible that Peter 3,000 came in one day. How many do you think in the lifetime of Billy Graham, how many people do you think were saved through that man preaching Christ? 
thousands, hundreds of thousands. Tim Ballstrom's here. He got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. Is that not right, Bill? Is it? At, what year? 1962. I wasn't even born yet. No, I was. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I mean, and look, this power to do greater works is available to you. The, the power to do miracles is gone. That was the disciples only. They're the ones that did the miracles. Once they were off the scene, those went off the scene too. But you have the power to do greater works within you. Another reason I think they're greater works, another reason I think that even Christ said they're greater works, when he was doing miracles, who was he? He was God. He was the God man. So for him, he was all flesh, all man, but he was also God. So when he did miracles, he believed, he, he would call on the name of the Lord and the Holy Spirit and the miracles would happen. But you're still talking about God. But now even greater works than he did are being done by what? Ordinary people. Ordinary people. You know what makes you extraordinary today? Is Jesus Christ in you. The Holy Spirit in you. The Father in you. That's what makes you extraordinary. Aside from that, you're just a regular person. But oh, when he came in your life, you became extraordinary. But that's also what makes the, to me, the uh, greater works comes to life in that. Like, just regular, ordinary people are doing, thousands of people are getting saved when they preach. People's lives are being changed by the Word of God through servants. Those are incredible greater works. Incredible. But remember this. There'll be no greater works from you unless the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are indwelling you because they're the ones that are really doing the work through you. Do you see that? You can do, what's he say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not Paul saying, I can do all things because I'm a really good disciple and apostle. Know what he says? No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Without him, I could do nothing. With him, I could do everything. All the greater works are produced by the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit through you whenever you do works. If you do it on your own, I'm not sure it's from God. And that will bring me to the third point. The third point is the provision that God or that Christ provides through a little thing called prayer. The provision of prayer. And it's verse 13 and 14. Now don't forget that verse 12 and all, that's all tied together. But he gets very specific about how I think the greater works are going to happen when you start doing this. All right? I think the greater works start to happen when you get 13 and 14 figured out in your head and how to do it. And what's he say there? This is just an incredible passage. I couldn't hardly keep Matt sitting still right here early service. He's, he, Matt stayed for the second service because he couldn't sit still during the first. Whatever you ask in my name... That will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I think Nike stole this do it thing right here from the, from the Bible. Just do it. 
Christ is saying, just ask me in my name and I'll do it. Well now, you got to be careful with this passage. You got to be a little careful. Because I don't want you to think that if you just say the three words, in Jesus' name, boom, it's going to happen. That's not what he's saying here. It's not like, in Jesus' name is not abracadabra, now I get what I want. No, not at all. What does he mean? Well, that, that, I started off in this first service saying, well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean first, and that's what it doesn't mean. That's not what he's saying here. If you tag this on to any prayer, anything that you want, you tag this in Jesus' name on it, and I'll make sure it happens. That's not what he's saying, people. That is not what he's saying. So let me sell, tell you three things that I think it means when he says, in Jesus' name. What, how that lines up. And, and uh, this is the first one. It means to me, and I see it in the passage, to make requests that are consistent with God's will. Make requests according to the purposes of his kingdom. Not, please help my poodle. That doesn't line up. You see that, don't you? And where do I get that? Jesus modeled this to his disciples in teaching on prayer in Matthew 6. And what's he say? He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your name is above every name. I know who you are. You oversee everything. Hallowed be your name. With reverence I come before you. And what's he say there? Thy kingdom come. You got that part? Thy kingdom come. God, your kingdom that is to come. Oh, let me look at it. Let me just look at it. Listen to what he says. This is, I mean... I didn't read it earlier, but I'm going to read it this time. The disciples say, teach us to pray. This is what he says to them. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, amen, amen. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Keep that in focus. It's not abracadabra, I get what I want. This helps formulate what you pray for. Keep his kingdom in mind. Keep his will in mind. Keep Jesus' name in mind. You ever use somebody's name to get you somewhere? Hey, just tell him at the front door that Phil Howard sent you. He'll get you right in. <laughs> Phil just said it'll get you arrested. <laughs> no, I mean, have you ever done that? I think you have. I think everybody has. Guess what? If you start using in Jesus' name, 
It'll get you access to the throne. It gets you access to the Father. In Jesus' name. And, and you know what I like to think? I'd like for you to start praying a little different. Don't tag it at the end of your prayer. Don't tagline it at the end. You know why? Because you forget who you're praying in. You're forgetting how you got access. You're going to come with all your list. I want to do this, I want to do that. I want to, oh God, give me this, give me, the, give, me, give, me, give, me give me new Mercedes, give me a bigger house. Pay my bills for me. Right? And then we tag this at the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, people, you need to start with that. Father, I know that I come to you in Jesus' name right now. I am entering into your presence because of what he did for me on a cross. I know that he said I'm supposed to pray that your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, I want to be part of the kingdom on the earth. I've already got the heaven part figured out. Matt talked about it last week. He assured those disciples, I'm going to prepare a place, and where I go, you will go. You'll be with me. Oh, praise the Lord for that. But I want to be part of the kingdom right here. I want to see the kingdom of God working in Hercules, California. Not the other part of the earth. Yes, I want it there too. But what's our responsibility? If you're not on the mission field, this is your mission field. That's the first point of what he means. The second one, I think, is what I just talked about. It's if I come in his name, when I do that, I'm acknowledging that I have no merit. I will not get anything accomplished before him unless I come in his name. If I come in his name, I think the Father's ears perk up. Oh, he's addressing the right way. He's come to me in the right way. You lack self-sufficiency. How many of you can, are sufficient unto yourself? How many of you can make sure that you're going to wake up tomorrow? You got any way of doing that? You're not sufficient by yourself. You need a Savior. You need the Lord. You need to pray in His name. I got this part figured out. And I'm utterly unworthy to receive anything from the hand of God based on my merit. And so are you. I cannot go to him on my merit. I merit nothing without Christ. I'm nothing without him. But all with him, I'm somebody. And I got access to the king of kings. We have to approach God on the merits of Jesus Christ. You have to approach him that way. And he will see that things get done. There's promises there, isn't there, in the verse. And then finally, the third point about what that means to me and what I see in the passage. This is in the passage, people. Expressing a sincere desire to see God glorified in an answer to your request. When you come in the name of Jesus, and look what this means is aligning yourself with what his will is. Him and the Father are one. They've already, he's already said that. They're one. He's under the will of the Father. He speaks the words of the Father. He's, he's taking you back to saying, when you come and pray in my name, you're aligning yourself back to knowing God the Father too. When you talk in my name, you're getting access that way. 
He's connecting himself. The Father and I are one. The Father wants what I want. I want what the Father wants. What I want for you is what the Father wants for you. You'll have a clearer revelation of who he is, a greater expression of his power, and you will have an unparalleled opportunity for his provision. Whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, it's, it's not a passive thing. It's active. It's active. Aligning your request to the Father's supreme will is what you end up doing and you end up glorifying the Son. The Father glorifies in the Son when you pray the right way. When you align yourself with God's will, His kingdom, His kingdom come, not your kingdom. Get the word you out of it. Your will. Oh, I got to align my will with God. Your will don't matter a bit. Get in His will. Align yourself with His will. And then watch out because your prayers are about to get answered. I'm going to tell you, I can just about guarantee you that your prayers, you're going to see them change exponentially if you start praying through the Son like you're supposed to. Acknowledging who He is. Acknowledging that you're lining up what you're praying for with His will. The kingdom that He wants to establish. When we pray in this way, we pray in keeping with Jesus' name, His person, His purpose, and His preeminence. That's what happens when you pray that way. First John 5.14 Let me look at it with you. This is what he says. This is the confidence which we have before him. Are you confident before him? Are you? I'm going to tell you what gives me confidence is when I pray in his name. Ah, that's what it says, actually. This is a confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to my will, according to the will of the United States government, according to the will of the uh, Black Lives Matter, according to the will of uh, whatever group you're following, you want to make it according to that will? Oh, no, no, no. According to his will. He hears us. Not if you pray in his will, he might hear you. You might catch him when he's not napping. I don't see any of that in the passage. He's attempting to do in the world when we pray what he's attempting to do in the world when we pray for what is consistent with his nature, consistent with his purpose, consistent with his perfection, consistent with his glory, that's what he's trying to accomplish. He's getting you to pray that way because you know what I found out? When I pray a certain way, when I pray for certain things, I start to do those things. Have any of you ever prayed and asked him? Let me, I'm going to give you a prayer that will be definitely in his will. Absolutely in his will. Tomorrow morning when you take your first breath, 
before your cup of coffee, before you even climb out of bed. Ask him what he has planned for you today. Say, uh, Romans 12 says, I'm supposed to give you my body today, God. You got my body. You got it. Just ask him to do that. Say, what do you have for me today? Will you give me someone to tell about Jesus to them? That I, that I might express to them the gospel that will change their lives. Will you give me somebody that way, Lord? Well, let me tell you, don't pray that if you're not ready to share. Because he's ready to give you somebody to share with. He's just waiting for someone, a vessel that says, I'm available. I am your ambassador. An ambassador goes, not here in the building, he goes outside this building. An ambassador that stays home is not an ambassador. Amen? I got to get out. Everywhere I see the gospel being presented, it's go, get out, go do it. You will become my, you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's your hometown, not inside the church, that's out there. Judea and Samaria in the uttermost part of the earth. It's going out. It's going in and telling people about Jesus. Get off your hind end and do something. Pray and ask God. Say, God, I want my unsaved loved ones to know you. You start praying that way, and then you get around those unsaved loved ones and tell me you can keep your mouth shut about this Christ. I promise you, you won't be able to. You will not be able to. I've asked the Lord to open doors so that I could talk to people about Christ and, and encourage them sometimes, even believers. Lord, can you just open a door, a pathway so that I can walk through that door and, and pray with them and encourage them and exhort them and just equip them to know better how to live this Christian life. And it's amazing how what I used to think was a, just a little crack in the door. Oh, that's not quite wide enough, Lord. I don't think I can share on that one. But when you pray that way, I'm going to promise you something. That crack feels like the doors have been thrown open. They've just been thrown open. It's our job. It's our job. And in prayer, you can ask him for that. That's aligning yourself with in Jesus' name. That's aligning yourself with that. And what's the point? The point of this is that your faith might be increased. The kingdom goes forward. You get in. The will of God starts to be getting done. Right? Look, what I've learned is that the will of God's going to happen whether you're involved in it or not. Why not be involved? I want to be involved in it. I want to be part of that. I don't want to be one of those ones the Lord saved and I figured out, oh, I've got my fire insurance. I'm going to sit on the sideline and wait till he comes back. No. I'm going to pray for those unsaved ones. I'm praying for the kingdom of God. I'm praying for this church right now that God will show us the direction that we need to go. Oh, how many of you are praying that? Oh, yeah, no, no, don't show a hand because it will embarrass you. That's what you should be praying you sit up here and go, oh, we got, the, we, got, we got six elders. We don't need to pray. They got it. They got it covered. Oh, oh, I'm one of them. I know how bad off I am. You better pray. And Tim just laughed because he knows it, and so did Edwin. And Phil's holding back his laughter because he knows all of us. No, no. The power of prayer, the promise of prayer, 
Look at that. You get to move the omnipotent hand of the Father by using his Son and using the example of the alignment of the Son and the Father. Don't you see the alignment? I'm doing what the Father sent me to do. Well, guess what? He saved us, so we do what he sent us to do. Now, he was doing this to help increase their faith, to buoy their faith up. Right? That's what I think he's doing here. Don't let your hearts be troubled that I'm going to leave you. I'm still going to be with you. As a matter of fact, I'm, you're going to have another just like me that's going to be with you all the time. And that's the greater works are going to take place then. And you have access to me at all times. And the greater works that you do, I'm going to be helping you do them anyway. It'll be just like I am here with you. But I, the question I have for you, if he delivers these words to them because they're discouraged in their faith, how are you doing on your faith? I better get on this side. I can do that side too much. How are you doing on your faith? Are you letting all the circumstances around you rob you of your joy? You know, we, we will suffer as believers. The whole world suffer right now, even the unbelievers. Are you letting the current political environment or the current economics, are you letting that destroy your faith? When, when did you, do you stop believing that God's in charge because of those circumstances? You know what it makes me do? It makes me pray more. I want to get a little closer to him. Because I can't, and here's the other thing. To assure that I know what his will is, I get in this book. I get in this book. I start studying this book. Don't read it so you can check a box. I did my three chapters. I have no idea what I read, but I did three chapters of it today. I spent 15 minutes waiting on the Lord. Don't do that. Dig in. Lean into the Father. Lean into the Son. He's told you everything you need to know right here. Quit asking somebody else to tell you what he said. Get in. Dig in. A little more prayer, a little bit more reading the Word, getting to know the Father. That's the advantage Jesus had on us. When he prayed to the Father, he already knew him. You've got to get to know him. And the more that I know him, the more properly I feel I can pray. The more I know what to pray for that way. And let me tell you, it's been a long time since I prayed for a new house or a new car. There's more important things for me to pray about than that. But I love it that he said, if you pray according to my purpose, if you pray according to my perfection, and you do that, I will do whatever you ask. Hmm. I will do it. That is a very positive statement. That's not a I might do it. That's a I will do it. But you've got to align what you're praying for with the will of the Father. And you can pray in Jesus' name and align your way. You align yourself in that way. And then watch out. You're about to become a prayer warrior because God's going to start answering your prayers. You're going to be able to see it boom, 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 boom. Let me tell you about one I just did. Last night, I'm, 
I was walking through notes and trying to type some stuff up. I happened to be at my Uncle Phil and my Aunt Carolyn's actually at this time. We'd gone to dinner. They broke down and invited me to go to dinner with them. So I went, I think Deborah actually invited me and Aunt Carolyn paid, so that was good. But I went over there, but I'm getting ready to leave the house. They had just prayed over me for this sermon this morning. And that in itself was just a blessing. Just got to let you know. But as I'm walking out the door, I get a phone call. And it's a, a frantic mother who tells me that her daughter has just been, her daughter and another family in this church have just been in an accident on Highway 4, hit by somebody doing 100 miles an hour, flipped their car six, five, six times, took out a guardrail, all of those things, and all she could say was, please pray. And so I hung up and we prayed. I said, Father, I don't know what she's going to find when she gets there protect her own heart but oh if nothing's happened thank you Lord and about three minutes later we got a call back from her she goes I cannot believe it I can't believe it Larry she says the car no one should have survived that but when I arrived everyone that was in the car is outside the car walking around Guess what? The prayer we prayed was according to his will. Okay? And then he did that. He did that. Now, who gets glorified? Me? Oh, no, I'm just a vessel praying. I'm, I got nothing. I can't help her at all. But guess what? All the glory goes back to the Father and the Son for doing that, answering that prayer. My Uncle David, been in the hospital, I thought I was saying goodbye to him last week. I honestly did. And I was trying my best in my prayer times to not let go of him. But also knowing that the will of the Father might be to take him. I don't know that for sure. But you know what? He's home today. Now, it's my job. This is my job to encourage you with this. Who gets the glory by answering those prayers? Not me because I prayed for him, but the one that answered the prayer gets the glory. Amen? So, I think that there should be a whole lot more miracle stories like that happening in a Valley Bible church and across the globe if the church will pray. If they'll depend on these promises that God has. And I don't care what faces you or what's coming. The circumstances don't change our responsibility to pray to the Father in Jesus' name. They don't. Matter of fact, those circumstances are driving you to pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. I want to just say thank you for the promises that you've revealed to me in this passage this week. And um, oh, what a reminder that you're such a loving and caring God. That you would send your son to die for me. That would have been enough. But then you keep taking care of us. But it would have been enough just to know your son. But then you say, well, I'll reveal myself to you in that too. And then you sent the Holy Spirit. And now I've got, I, I don't even know how it works, but I got you all three living in me. Wow. What a thing.
Thank you so much for a pattern of how to pray. Sometimes we ask for things and we wonder, why didn't God answer that? And then when we start to think, and when I see this passage, I go, did you ask it truly in his name, aligning yourself with the character of who he is to affirm that the prayer would even be considered? <sighs> Thank you for the use of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we might do greater works even, Lord. Just pray your blessing on these people as they exit here. Pray for blessing on the people at home. May your word have penetrated their hearts today uh, to make them consider some of the things we talked about, that they won't just walk out the door and forget it or turn the TV off now at home and what's for lunch and forget about these wonderful truths and the wonderful promises of your power that you are available to us. Utilize us all to complete and to uh, continue to work it for the kingdom here on earth too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.